This podcast is supported by an educational grant by Bosch Health, made available through the CDA Corporate Supporter Program. Good day and welcome back to JCMS Author Interviews. I'm Kirk Barber, the Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Cutaneous Medicine and Surgery and a Clinical Professor of Medicine at the University of Calgary. Today we're going to speak with Dr. Aaron Drucker. Aaron is the author of the article, Canadian Burden of Skin Diseases from 1990 to 2017, the results from the Global Burden of Disease 2017 study. I chose this CME article from our March-April 2020 edition of the journal because of the impact that this article can have on influencing our practices, perhaps, and certainly health policy. I'm very happy that Dr. Drucker could join us uh, on the uh, JCMS author interviews. He's a scientist at the Women's College Research Institute and a dermatologist at Toronto Women's College Hospital and an assistant professor of dermatology at the University of Toronto. Aaron, uh, welcome to the podcast and thanks for spending some time with us today. Thanks a lot, Kirk. I'm fascinated by your article of uh, looking at the burden of disease in Canada. Um, I didn't think I was going to be, firstly, when I when I read it. It was very, uh, um, very thick, if you will, in the numbers and the, 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 the alliterations. And, and uh, so I was wondering, first off, what, why did you do the article, firstly? And then in your group of authors, how you put that all together. And uh, so give me a bit of a story as to, as, as to how this came to be. Thanks, Kirk, and um, thank you for having me on the podcast. And uh, I think it's a really nice uh, thing to do to compliment the paper and maybe try to uh, give people uh, some story behind all these numbers, as you say. Uh, so uh, the Global Burden of Disease Study is a tremendous resource. This is a group based out of the University of Washington uh, in the U.S. that pulls together all kinds of data from all over the world uh, and crunches the numbers and provides really uh, useful estimates of how common diseases are across medicine. Uh, And we saw that as a great opportunity to use that data to uh, describe the burden of skin disease across Canada. And so the authors on our paper include people who are heavily involved at the GBD study in putting all of this data together on the back end. Uh, Also collaborators who have expertise in skin disease uh, and our lead author, Alana Bridgman, uh, who's a medical student at Queens University, uh, is the one who uh, in the end put together this excellent final product for us. Um, so back to you know the motivation. Why, why do we do this? We do this because it's important for us to understand at a population level how common different skin diseases are and what impact they have on our population. We know atopic dermatitis is uh, common and, and important as dermatologists, but the general population might not understand that. Uh, They might think it's a disease of childhood that is usually mild and goes away. They might not understand that it's a chronic condition that is associated with disability across the life course. And so this paper allows us to bring together with solid hard numbers uh, how important skin disease is uh, and allows us to compare it with other diseases outside of dermatology as well. 
So this is the Global Burden of Disease Study, and it looks like the, uh, there's been a number of iterations of this, and this was the 2017 um, iteration, looking at these diseases that you chose from the, from 1990 to 2017. Right. So GBD is always updating their methods. They're always adding new data sources. They're tweaking the way they analyze the data. Uh, and uh, they generally do this every two years. Uh, and so the 2017 data is the most recently available data source, but of course it you know, will be updated with 2019 data uh, in the near future. And uh, what they do is they don't um, you know, take their data from 2009 and let that sit still, and then they, they then run just 2017. They rerun everything for every year whenever they add a new methodology. So the 2017 iteration uses up-to-date methods to look at 2009 and 2017. You and your group decided on 18 categories of skin and subcutaneous disease. Was there any reasoning behind the choice of these 18? So we, we uh, our author group did not come up with that categorization. That's a standard categorization used by GBD. And, uh, you know, that's based in part on important things like what are the common skin diseases? not just in Western countries, but internationally. So things like scabies that maybe aren't tremendously burdensome here in Canada, but are in the developing world uh, is captured uh, in GBD. That's a combination of you know, what's important, but also what's measurable. So what, what are their ICD-9 and 10 codes that are used uh, across different countries uh, that can capture the data that we need? So we know about, about the study. We understand now why the 18 categories and standardized across the world so you can compare internationally, I assume. And, and the purpose or one of the major purposes of this is to probably inform some health policy and, and give some direction to funders, regulators, governments, that sort of thing as far as what needs to be investigated. Now, the um, YLLs and the YLDs and the DALIs can you help me understand the nature of the evaluation? Sure. So uh, GBD starts with two basic measures of disease, incidence and prevalence. Incidence being how common does a disease come on and, and prevalence being how common is a disease that's out there in the population. So you can have a disease with a really high incidence uh, like uh, chicken pox used to be, but it wouldn't have had a high prevalence because it goes away so quickly. In other words, there aren't a lot of people walking around with chicken pox because they may have, most just about everyone got it, but it went away so quickly that they didn't have it for a very long period of time. So it starts with those two basic measures, incidence and prevalence. If it's a chronic condition, it's going to be very prevalent because uh, it lasts a long time. And so someone who has it has it for a long period of time. Uh, then it takes those measures of incidence and prevalence and it factors in how much disability uh, those conditions cause on average across a population. So if you take something like atopic dermatitis, in some cases it's mild, in some cases it's severe, you come up with an average disability estimate, and GBD has standard methods using surveys to estimate how much disability a disease causes on average across a population. And essentially you multiply that disability weight by how common the disease is, and then you get how much disability that disease causes across the population. 
that gives you what's called a year's live with disability. So if a disease uh, is very common, but only causes a little bit of disability, then it still might cause at the population level a tremendous amount of disability. So something like atopic dermatitis that usually is mild, you can see in our study causes a tremendous amount of disability at the population level. Okay, so tell me about disability-adjusted life years. So disability-adjusted life years takes into account that years live with disability measure and adds on top of that years of life lost. So it's really hard to compare conditions like a heart attack that kills a lot of people uh, and causes some disability, but probably its main impact is killing a lot of people with a condition like atopic dermatitis that doesn't kill a lot of people. Uh, if anybody, you know, they might die from comorbidities, but uh, they're usually not dying from their atopic dermatitis, but causes a lot of disability. And disability-adjusted life years allows you to combine uh, the years of life lost and uh, years live with disability into one uh, metric to allow you to compare lethal diseases and non-lethal diseases using one metric. So if we were to try and pick one of these disabilities to look at today in the time we have, would the DALI be the most informative? I think um, for skin disease, you essentially have two categories. You have skin cancers and everything else. And when you're talking about skin cancers, those are the things that can kill people and where it makes sense to focus on DALIs, which in include mortality. Uh, for all the other inflammatory conditions, really it's the disability that, uh, that we focus on. So they're both useful, and I would use them in different ways. Okay, so, so uh, what did you learn? You, you've, you've got, we've, we've got the numbers, we know, how to, we, we know how you're analyzing them. Can you put it into terms that even the non-statistician can understand? Well, I think we learned, and we weren't surprised by this, that skin disease causes a lot of disability. Uh, so even when you look at disability-adjusted life years, which again incorporates mortality, people losing their lives uh, from things like heart attacks and strokes, uh, skin disease comes up uh, representing 4% of all disability-adjusted life years in Canada, which isn't 50%, but still 4% is a tremendous amount uh, of burden of disease accounted for by the diseases that we deal with as dermatologists. So that's one thing that was not surprising, uh, but we think is an important finding. Uh, other things that we found are that uh, skin cancers and particularly keratinocyte carcinomas, basal and squamous cell cancers, commonly called non-melanoma skin cancers, really uh, seem to be on the rise when we looked at trends from uh, 1990 to 2017, we really saw uh, major increases in the rates of those skin cancers. And which you would take to inform the public or public policy by saying, pay more attention to them, pay more money for them, or is this something that is just a phenomena, if you will? That's a good question. You know, how do we react to these numbers? And I think you know, whenever there's a tremendously burdensome problem, we need to make sure that we have adequate resources to deal with it. And so that uh, may mean increased research resources to come up with ways to prevent it or better treat it or treat it in the most effective and efficient way uh, possible. Um, but I think particularly with regards to these skin cancers, 
prevention really comes to mind. You know, why have these gone up so much uh, over the last 20 uh, or so years? And what can we do to uh, stop that increase, uh, have it level off, and if anything, uh, dip back down? When I was reading through the, the, uh, the article, I was stunned by the increase in the keratinocyte carcinomas. Um, specifically or because we've been spending a tremendous amount of energy on sun awareness programs. And it's the essence of our being and has been the essence of practice for that 20-year period. Um, so do you think it's the sunscreen program's not working? Is that what we're hearing? We're, give, we're giving the wrong messages? Uh, or is the population just getting older and breaking through what the what our sunscreen message is or are these people that didn't get that sunscreen message and now 20 years later are developing the cancers do you have any thoughts on that sure i think one thing uh, that's important is that we do have an aging population and so you know the these things that are more common in older people uh, are going to become more common in our country because the population is getting older but we also did uh, our analyses adjusting for that age difference. Uh, and still, the, the increase really is uh, tremendous in, in these skin cancers. I think part of the uh, problem in looking at these time trends is that these skin cancers often have a really long lag time between their exposure to ultraviolet radiation in the sun and their ultimate development. So, you know, I personally have a lot of patients who uh, they swear they really have been avoiding sun exposure for the last 30 years or so, and they're in their 80s now, and they attribute it to uh, a lot of sun exposure in their teens, 20s, 30s, uh, and, and I believe that. You know, I think uh, what we may see the fruits of those public health uh, efforts that you're talking about down the line, we're just not seeing them yet. And, and so hopefully if we continue with those strategies that if there is a, a GBD 2041 study, that we do see those things paying off. Okay, so your sense is that this is related to the age. Well, I think we can we can only peg it on age so much because we when we do our analyses where we adjust for age, there still is a major increase over time. So further to keep harping at this point, I mean, should we be doing this sunscreen story? I mean, I, I, I'm assuming we should. Should we be intensifying it? Is there is there something missing? in that program that you've uncovered? I think our study can't really answer that question. I think uh, our study shouldn't, isn't an indication to throw out the things that we've done over the years, because as I said, there's this tremendous lag and you know we may not, what we're seeing now may not be uh, uh, related to the efforts that we've been doing over the 20 years. All of these skin cancers may be related to sun exposure that happened many years before all of these campaigns started. But what it does point to is that the burden is so high and is increasing at such a rate that perhaps there are other things that we ought to be doing too. And that means that more, you know, the, the classic uh, tagline at the end of every article, more research, more research is needed uh, to figure out what to do next. So can you spend a bit of time in, in the melanoma world and, and tell me what, what your study discovered? Sure. So we, we did see an increase in melanoma over time, but it wasn't nearly as dramatic as what we saw for keratinocyte carcinoma, uh, basal and squamous cell carcinoma. Um, and uh, 
to the point of what I was talking about before about how uh, these things have tremendous lag times and maybe relate to chronic sun exposure from years prior, we know that melanoma isn't as much related to chronic sun exposure over many years. Uh, it often occurs in more young patients uh, who have you know, some really intense sun exposure at one point in time. Also, there are a number of melanoma variants that aren't as much related to sun exposure at all. They come out of moles related to uh, aberrant genes in, uh, in moles. And so I think uh, that may be why we're still seeing a, an increase in melanoma, but it's not nearly as dramatic as what we've seen for keratinocyte carcinoma. And was there a, a, a country-specific uh, increase? Are we, are we increasing uh, at a greater rate than, say, Australia, New Zealand, or is, or is it the reverse? Well, one uh, metric that the GBD uses to compare across countries is what's called an observed over expected ratio. So what they do is they take countries that have uh, similar socio-demographic indices uh, and they essentially take an average and, and that is what you would expect the numbers for that country to look like. And for uh, keratinocyte carcinoma, Canada was above that average. So we had more of those skin cancers than you would expect for a country with our characteristics. But for melanoma, we were slightly under uh, that, uh, that expected rate. So, um, you know, a bit of a mixed bag in terms of how we're doing for, uh, for skin cancer. Okay. And how did this all um, come out with regard to, say, psoriasis and eczema, the things that, that uh, clinicians deal with on a daily basis? Um, how are we doing with regard to um, uh, other countries? Do they compare those two or is that just in the malignancy world that they're compared? So we, we did find that uh, psoriasis and atopic dermatitis, these chronic inflammatory skin conditions, did have higher uh, observed rates in Canada than we would have expected based uh, on our general country characteristics. So it seems like we do have a higher burden of those skin conditions compared to other countries. In thinking about that difference, the we have to blame the weather in some instances, eh? and of course weather and genetics. Uh, um, and so, you know, the story about atopic eczema, for example, in which you're 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 a recognized expert in the field. When when you looked at this work with the global uh, burden uh, study, how did you reflect back onto the atopic eczema research that you're so uh, involved in? Well, I, I think that one thing that um, has been helpful for me uh, with this global burden of disease study is just another data source that shows that while, yes, atopic dermatitis is more common in childhood, it still is burdensome throughout the lifespan. It shows up in GBD across countries, including in Canada, as a chronic skin disease that, that does affect adults and is burdensome in adults too. Uh, and so while we're seeing that from multiple different sources, it is nice to have this standardized tool saying the same thing.
And Aaron, could you spend a little time with me on figure one in the article? And it's the um, daily rates per 100,000 for the 18 diseases in Canada. And particularly striking to me was the illustration of what you had said about atopic dermatitis, with the bars being larger in childhood, but the, the persistence of disease and, and burden right through into the 90s. Right. One of the amazing but also difficult things about GBD is that there's just so much data. And so, you know, it's hard to know how to look at it, what's the best way to look at it. And in most of our paper, we present these overall DALI rates across the population. But we know that some things like keratinocyte carcinoma are going to be really common among older people and barely present among younger people, if at all. And things like atopic dermatitis are going to be much more common in younger people and much less common among older people. And so this figure one really takes you through those age differences. And it shows you that, uh, that keratinocyte carcinoma over time really starts to pick up in the 30s and 40s and become very common as you get uh, past 70-year-olds. Uh, but atopic dermatitis, which accounts for more than half of all disability-adjusted life years in young children among skin diseases, but you know, around one to four years old, years of age, even though that shrinks way down as a proportion uh, of the DALIs uh, experienced um, in Canada related to skin disease, it still uh, is quite burdensome, uh, even into adulthood and through uh, the 60s, 70s, and 80s of life. Aaron, thanks very much for uh, spending time with us today and, and bringing your, your article uh, to life so that those of us that aren't so uh, good at epidemiology can, can try and understand the burden of disease in Canada. Well, thank you, Kirk. I mean, it's been a lot of fun. And um, one thing that we haven't touched on yet is uh, how uh, useful, I think, a resource this paper can be uh, for researchers who are you know, writing their grants, writing their introductory paragraphs of their paper, and really trying to get at the importance of skin disease and of individual skin diseases. If there's a skin disease that you're researching that we have data for in GBD, and you're wondering about how common it is in women, how common it is in men, how common it is in a specific age group, what are the trends over time? We probably have that data point somewhere in our paper or in the supplemental material. Um, so we do hope that uh, this paper is useful for the skin disease research community in Canada as well. Uh, as I'm sure it will. And as I'm sure we will talk about uh, GBD 2019. Thanks a lot, Kirk. Cheers. Cheers. Okay, bye-bye. That was Dr. Aaron Drucker, a dermatologist and scientist at Toronto's Women's College Hospital and an assistant professor of dermatology at the University of Toronto. I think you'll appreciate the fact that Aaron took what could be a very dry subject and made it come alive for us. I certainly have a better understanding of the global burden of, of uh, disease study as it affects the, the world and how skin diseases can be compared internationally now. Very important stuff and hopefully a great stimulus to practice and, and researchers. Well, that's it for this episode of JCMS Author Interviews. Um, I hope you enjoyed your time with uh, Aaron and I. Please be sure to subscribe and don't miss future episodes. Remember that the articles are available free of charge for three weeks from the time that the podcast is posted. So please read it, share it with your colleagues and on social media. 
I'm Kirk Barber. Thanks so much for listening. And until next time, be good to each other.